0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. We are continuing our discussion on Gnostic Pneumotherapy with Doctors Robert Lloyd and Dr. Joseph Lancaster. Good evening, gentlemen.
1: Welcome. Good
2: evening. Hi.
0: Good evening. Hi. Good evening. You know, we uh, kind of got kind of a briefer introduction into... Into your work uh, on our YouTube show. Um, But because not all of our listeners here uh, are necessarily going to be watching the YouTube first, maybe give them uh, again, uh, you know, uh, maybe Dr. Lloyd, a a brief description of what is Gnostic Pneumotherapy? Well, (laughs) a brief description.
3: Basically. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of uh, difficult,
0: actually. <laughs> the it's, readers digest condenser. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> that makes it
1: easier.
2: Well, we always start off with the basic idea that it's a treatment for human suffering. And it's a unique treatment because it emanates out of the uh, Gnostic tradition, especially the Valentinian tradition. Right. And then it incorporates into that the theories and ideas of CGU. And finally, it prioritizes the spirit, which has been left out of so much uh, therapy and psychology. So we prioritize the role of the spirit in understanding who we are as human beings, what is our human nature, in a Gnostic uh, viewpoint, how, why we suffer, and what we can do about suffering from a Gnostic point of view. Very,
1: very. I'm interested when you talk about um, suffering. Mm. you know, some people would say, um, and, and many, actually many do, would, would say that while suffering is certainly painful, um, it is something that can be a catalyst for growth and change. Is that your approach or is your, is, is, are you working to alleviate the suffering or to transform it?
2: Well, there's two different kinds of suffering and there's the unnecessary needless mm-hmm. suffering that we, we put onto our own existential suffering. And um, existential suffering can be helpful, it moves us along and helps us wake up to problems and deal with problems, but the unnecessary neurotic suffering Mm -hmm. that we put on top of that by judging ourselves or, you know, resisting our experience and not accepting what's coming to us, that can be treated and changed. And and therefore we can work with the suffering that's the existential suffering and, and find uh, meaningful growth from that
1: okay um, yeah that's you know I, I I'm a student of the of Gurdjieff's fourth way and there's yeah. a lot of talk about you know there's an intentional suffering versus yeah you know, uh, unintentional suffering and, and something very similar there so mm-hmm. uh, I was really helpful to hear you hear you talk about that right so is this now um, we discussed the fact that you that your system has an initiatory kind of a system. Is this something that a person who is unhappy or feeling depressed or whatnot is this something that they can you know start the process as you would any other kind of therapy or does this person does a person really need to be in a position where they are willing to at least commit to a long term process before coming to see you?
3: Cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, basically the way we we talk about this is Gnostic pneumotherapy is a psycho-spiritual approach mm. to those patients you could say who don't who no longer want to be a patient. They wanna okay. be in this shit. They want okay. they wanna go past uh, as Dr. Heller would say, past the head shrinking. Okay, doc, what's next? Mm. Let's go let's go beyond these four walls in the in a typical therapy session. And let me try to find a, a deeper meaning about who I am, where mm-hmm. I've come from, and where I'm going. Right. And so that's that's very important. Uh, Noss chemotherapy is really a, a, an approach that's for most people, but the person has to be willing to want to have an altered state of consciousness.
1: Okay. Uh,
3: now, obviously, those people who come... Out of other traditions, maybe Buddhism or they're a Kabbalist or whatever, they may already have some uh, prior experience, some prior altered state of consciousness experience, uh, including visions, dreams, aha experiences, you name it. Mm -hmm. And it'll be even easier for them to grasp on and move forward quicker. But nonetheless, e- even the uh, the novice who's at least willing mm-hmm. um, to persevere and wants to get a little bit more out of just your basic standard psychotherapy can definitely benefit from therapy. Don't be afraid. <laughs>
4: well, that's actually I wanted to ask a follow up question on that. So, what <clears throat> I don't know if maybe this isn't isn't a simple answer, but what is the what is the difference between what you do and, and say, for example, a, a traditional Jungian psychotherapy session, what, what does it look like when you do it as opposed to...
3: <laughs> well, uh, if you don't mind, uh, Dr. Lloyd, I'll, I'll th- put this one little tidbit and you can maybe jump on this as well. Um, one of the key things I've noticed that's uh, uh, unique about Gnostic Pneumotherapy is that, uh, at least from what I know, uh, Dr. Lloyd, tell me if you know anything different. Um, sometimes Jungian analysts may, on the spot, do some active imagination work with a patient, uh, sometimes with uh, struggling patients. But with gnostic therapy, there is a whole step by step system way before they even get to active imagination. Mm-hmm. Because active imagination for certain types of individuals um, how shall we say uh, could possibly be a little bit hazardous if you will mm-hmm. and you know especially if they 're not prepared um, uh, especially if they have a very severe illness like psychosis
2: <laughs> yeah so
3: so the the nice thing about nausea therapy is that it's it 's a very uh, uh <laughs> structured approach. It's very step-by-step. I think it's a very safe approach before a patient even dares to get into the uh, arduous work of of active imagination. Uh, That that comes much more towards the end of the book. Uh, But prior to that, there is a lot of uh, guidance and training to get to that point. Dr. Lloyd?
2: Right. And I think that we are specifically a Gnostic uh, tradition, oriented from a Gnostic tradition. So there's no shyness about discussing a demiurgic ego pattern or, um, like I said earlier, the Sabaoth ego pattern. Um, When we work with terms, it's not going to be so much psychological as it's going to be mythopoetic terms.
3: Right.
2: Um, Go ahead. Yeah. Right. So
3: yeah, yeah, he's he's correct. In other words, yeah, the, the, we really emphasize the tradition of Gnosticism, whereas I believe uh, other schools of thought, maybe like mindfulness, which is real popular in, in psychology right now, um, my understanding is there's not as much of an emphasis on the tradition, but with Gnosticism therapy, there's a there's a much heavier emphasis on the actual Gnostic tradition.
2: Gnostic tradition and again prioritizing the spirit's role because everything comes back to the fact that we're not just physical, psychological beings, we're physical, psychological and spiritual beings, which uh-huh. is not, it, it must not be left out of the therapeutic uh, process and that's what we're trying to do
1: you know i i know from my own experience in psycho having undergoing psychotherapy at various times um, working with somebody who takes a purely secular approach has often been very difficult um, some are more accommodating than others but it wasn't until i found a therapist who was an initiated hermetic priest in addition to having very legitimate mental health credentials and was a licensed mental health practitioner um, that a lot of the work that I needed to do was it was, got done um, because it, right. I think an approach that yes. for, for me I mean it, this has been my life I mean I've I entered seminary theological seminary when I was 23 years old I mean, this is something that I've been doing you know for a great deal of my adult life right. and uh, to ignore that one part of me to ignore that part of who I am uh, wasn't very helpful in terms of therapy
2: and that's why if you had just gone for relief of suffering you never would have necessarily got to that deeper understanding of who you are and you know right. what you're here for. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're not shying away from that question because we believe that the individuation process is all about actually finding out who you are and making that work in this life. Yeah. You know?
3: Right cuz cuz Jung Jung said that, that the purpose of our life is to be conscious. Hmm? And and as Dr. Heller says, the law of life is to become your true self, but how are you going to become your true self unless you're conscious, unless you're aware
1: yeah. <laughs> and awake,
3: so, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah.
1: and not hiding. Yes, and not hiding, but we and we have that in the Gnostic uh, mythos. We we have Sophia when she gave birth to the Demiurge. I mean, her her approach was to hide him. Um, right. We were talking about that when we were talking about the Apocryphon. Of John when we had our, our friend um, Bishop Tim Mansfield on the show and that was one of the one, one, a very pivotal story it is the story of Sophia decides to reproduce on her own and out of shame has this has this uh, child a demiurge who she then hides up <laughs> hides away <laughs> and um, then of course he gets a very skewed idea of who he is because he's got nobody else around him. He's got nobody to to reflect. There's no community there for him. So he doesn't develop that. One thing I'm I'm curious, um, is all your work solo with one-on-one or do you do any kind of group work with people so they have a community?
3: We have that option open for for, um, a group therapy. And it's – so far, it's it's more ritualistic in nature, mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't you say, Doctor Lloyd?
2: Yeah, we we do have some rituals incorporated into our material, and uh, I haven't yet worked with a group using the rituals. Um, I've been only working with individuals at this point, but this is an evolving process. You're kind of catching, yeah, you're catching us. You know,
3: basically starting.
1: <laughs> right, right.
3: Yeah, well, this is pretty fresh.
1: <laughs> well, that's exciting. Well, you know, so I, I'm right. hoping. Uh, maybe in a, in, a, in a year or two you can come back and let us know what, what you're doing because I mean this right. is really helpful information, but I think it could also be helpful to um, other other mental health practitioners and, and right. people who you know, have to you know, who deal with people's uh, souls and their spirits and right. their minds. So I think this could be incredibly, incredibly useful. What do you say, Bishop Canterbury?
0: I, I think, yes, very useful. I mean, um, you know, I've made it known to all of our listeners that, uh, you know, I, I've spent, uh, you know, uh, several periods of my life in, in, in therapy. And uh, like you, Bishop Peterson, you know, this is an element that was missing from my therapy. You know, Ooh. I originally went to, into therapy after uh, the end of my marriage, going through uh, a lot of divorce or a lot of uh uh, depression and anxiety and other things but you know even though i loved my doctor dr hightower i cannot say enough great things Ooh. about her um <laughs> just was a wonderful therapist there was still an element that was missing in that element that was missing was exactly what these gentlemen are talking about uh, today so i find this very very exciting now you know obviously you know uh People like Bishop Peterson and myself, you know, we include this Gnostic mythos in our lives. I did hear uh, um, Dr. Lancaster, you know, mention that, you know, from those coming from other traditions, uh, you know, whether Buddhism or Hermetic traditions or maybe Kabbalistic, you know, traditions that, uh, you know, they may have, um, you know, maybe a little bit more insight into this as well. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of uh, maybe a step backwards for those who maybe don't necessarily come from deeper spiritual traditions, whether they're active Gnostics or come from a more active uh, form of spirituality. Do you still feel, um, doctors, that this type of therapy is beneficial to, to all, or really is this kind of tailored specifically for those people who do consider themselves deeply spiritual?
3: Well, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, I believe it's it could be useful for most people. Uh, mm-hmm. We're all human, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but again, uh, kind of like uh, the Gnostic tradition states, uh, you know, Christ uh, revealed certain revelations to those who were ready.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay,
3: those who would understand. Uh, We could say those who are healthy, to understand, (laughs) or healthy enough, have a a strong enough ego strength, and that's very important because if if a patient doesn't have a strong enough ego strength, uh, maybe due to their psychosis or something else, then uh, that can be a a dangerous uh, undertaking. Very you know, we, we gotta be careful. <laughs> so so we we could argue that Gnostic pneumotherapy is not a hundred percent for all people, but I would probably say the majority uh of those who are willing, uh, be sure. Sure.
1: Right. Well, something that was interesting. Oh, I'm sorry, Doctor Lloyd, go ahead go ahead, Dr. Lloyd.
2: Oh um just to add to that, we're gonna focus on the idea of creating experience so that people whether you come from a religious tradition in the, in your background or not um, the experience in the therapeutic context will be the seeking of self knowledge and uh, you know, through that experience a patient may experience um, coming to know more about the divine within them that may be a new thing for them um, if they read a myth, they may come to Experience a sense of um, more meaning in their life, or greater insight into who they are. Uh, they never read that myth before. Right. Um, if they participate in a ritual, they may find there's a, a healing connection established within them between their conscious mind and their unconscious. You know. Um, mm-hmm. An they, aha
3: experience. An yes. aha
2: experience. So they, they, they may never have come from a religious tradition, but by being exposed to these experiences, they may find uh, spiritual awareness, spiritual awakening happens.
3: Right. And what I found, too, is that when I'm dealing with individual patients, I, I typically will uh, use a guided imagery that kind of goes into an act of imagination. And some of these patients are relatively new to even psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. So in this sense, I'm kind of being like the Jungian analyst where I may actually use that technique if I clinically judge that, you know, they're ready to receive an aha experience. And so many times they, uh, uh, how shall I say, colloquial speaking, they freak out in a good way. They have mm-hmm. a wild gnosis, as some yeah. schools of thought say. Yeah. And wow, I, I, I never uh, knew that about myself. Because mm-hmm. based on the, exp- the uh, visionary experience, kind of like a dream experience, they have that projection of that deeper inner reality. And then all of a sudden they see their anima, which is the, uh, the feminine, contrasexual image of the soul, which may come about as Sophia. Mm -hmm. for example. And so now they have a chance to recognize that uh, deeper inner soul projection by Sophia, let's say, and to integrate her, to love her, embrace her, befriend her, and therefore receive a deeper inner healing uh, in an energetic, divine way.
1: Yeah. Nice. Very nice. nice. Now, something that was said earlier that was of interest to me, it may have been Dr. Lloyd who said it, but uh, this, that the idea of Gnostic Pneumotherapy is that it's for people who no longer, who don't want to be, don't always want to be a patient. Um, And what occurred to me is when you talked about having an initiatory system, that very often in standard therapy, the idea of progress is you go from meeting with your therapist once a week to every other week, and then (laughs) less and less, and then finally finally they terminate therapy, and that's considered to be progress. And what's of interest to me is that instead of – uh, lessening the connection, the connection becomes even more deep as you move, move move further in and are initiated into more and more mysteries. And that is very different from the standard therapeutic, which is actually to just to try to push the person away. Um, this, you're, they're actually being drawn into something, and I think that that's fascinating.
2: Yeah, they're they're learning a skill that they have not been taught anywhere else on the planet, and that is how to relate to the inner um, spirit within, mm-hmm. and through through techniques like active imagination, which you know we we carefully guide to start off, mm-hmm. but through as progression moves ahead, they become more skilled and, and able to access the the, the mm-hmm. divine messenger, if you will through these uh, openings up of, of the act of imagination.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that, I think that that's fascinating and it, it's, it speaks to, um, I guess to me, it it speaks of a healing that leads towards further growth and progress. Correct. Um, rather than just an end of treatment. You know, we, we, we've, we've, okay, you're cured and no. sending everybody
3: up on their way. Right. I mean, it, again, it, that's, that relates back to the, uh, the uniqueness of Gnostic Pneumotherapy because, again, we're basically taking the Greek mysteries and putting it in the psychotherapy room.
1: Okay. And
3: and so uh, it's an initiatory process. It's not just a quick fix and see ya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so uh, apparently our um, – relationship to the initiate being their mentor is is very critical Mm -hmm. you have that that good therapeutic alliance and that um and and through that therapeutic alliance there's a hope that wow there's something more Mm -hmm. and i want to know more about who i am and why i have suffered in the way i've suffered and how can i heal. How can I – oh, through dreams, through these visionary experiences that I never had before, but they're mm-hmm. happening live in the therapy room. So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually quite awesome. I, I've even had some cases uh, – I don't, I don't know about you, Dr. Lloyd, but I've had some cases where I've even had uh, – after several uh, dream analysis that I have done with patients as well as talking about visions – before you know it, they're dreaming more. They're starting to have even visions in the actual psychotherapy room. And, mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden, they're not drinking anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty awesome, actually.
1: Well, drinking can interfere with sleep, and that would actually could actually stifle the, the, the dreaming process. I mean, that, that, that's yeah. an interesting connection that you just made there. Um, not that I have a, against a nip now and again myself, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yes. as Bishop Canterbury and Father Tony know, but the the, uh, the thing is, is that if the dreaming, if the dreams are flowing more, and the person is not trying to numb that or push that back, maybe they are, they they will not even realize that, that they're not drinking anymore because they have no reason or no desire anymore to stifle that process, or they're suffering. Right. That yeah you know, that, that, so. that that just might start happening that just
2: might start happening so <clears throat> I had a patient uh, who had a little bit of a problem like that, and um, when he started dreaming he he started having um dreams of reconciliation with people from his past that he hadn't been in touch with for twenty or thirty years when he was actively really abusing alcohol right. and yeah, and so the dream started bringing everybody together in the room, and they'd be you know. Friends again in the dream, right? Where mm-hmm. there had been, there had been some injury done in the past, but now in the dream world, it was uh, reconciliation taking place. And wouldn't you know? Over the Christmas holidays, uh, he went to a party thrown by one of his old friends, and there were all these people that had been in the dream, that were physically present at the party, and he was actually able to reconcile with them and make peace with them. So. I think some of the, this work really opens up the spirit to, to do powerful things.
3: Yeah, I, I had a case, t- too, you just reminded me, where the guy came in, he was an alcoholic, and the reason why he was an alcoholic was because his wife had passed away. And so he was basically just drinking himself to death, mm. trying to numb out his feelings. So I had him lay on the couch did that guided imagery, went into the act of imagination experience. And then before you know it, voila, there's his wife. Ever since then, he never drank again.
0: And really? I guy,
3: yep. And I saw this guy for a period of like two years. And uh, actually during that two-year period, there was there was kind of drought periods, if you will. You know, I'm not seeing or feeling my wife anymore. And so I had him uh, do some journaling. <clears throat> which also relates to some of what we do in Gnostic pneumotherapy mm-hmm. and uh, kind of loosen them up a little bit, if you will. And before he left my uh, practice, the very last session, I had him uh, lay down again and go back over that same guided imagery, active imagination experience. And voila, there was his wife again.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So it was, a, it was a
3: nice ending to that uh, therapeutic relationship. But mm-hmm. but 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 even within that two-year period, as I was saying before, uh, this uh, gentleman did have live uh, visions in the therapy session where he would see him and his wife holding hands, swimming in a lake, mm-hmm. kind of like a yin yang, you know. So it was wonderful experiences along the way as well that were very uh, uh, inspirational and helped him to maintain his sobriety.
1: Awesome. Awesome. That is awesome. Uh, now I'm, I'm curious. Uh, when we when we were talking about dream work, sometimes Bishop Canterbury and I have had discussions about dream work in the past. Um, do you have any uh, guidelines or ideas for how can a person uh, distinguish between a dream that may just be some mental garbage that's regurgitated after a stressful day versus something that is profound? Or or, or do you think all of it's profound? Or should we pay attention to everything in our dreams or are, are there a way is there a form of discernment that we can use
2: that's a great question I mean I think the yeah. uh, this is where gnostic uh, mythology helps out because there are some dreams that are just arconic dreams and mm-hmm. they're just dreams that tear you down um, you know cause you to lose hope, make you feel worse than you started off feeling and I think those arconic dreams are just really um, wanting to defeat us psycho-spiritually so that we give up. Mm -hmm. Um, There are dreams from higher aeons that I think give us a feeling of meaning, hope, inspiration, um, a direction. I think if a dream um, has those qualities, it's it's an aeonic dream and it can lead us to to deeper understanding and, and more creative solutions to our problems.
3: Can I give an example of that? Please. Sure. Sure. Well, one simple example is I have this uh, one patient. uh, Wow. She has many (laughs) uh, wonderful emotional intuitive experiences. And one of them was where she was looking into – actually, no. She was with a being, some mysterious being of some kind that was looking over her shoulder and talking with her. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. and But she felt that this being was very benevolent, very loving. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, uh, as she was lost in her, her ego confusion, this benevolent being said, look into the water and pointed right to the little lake there. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, as she looked into the little lake, she saw her own reflection. And began to self-reflect on who she really is. Um, I guess the best way to put it is she intuitively knew that this benevolent person was the source who was trying to help her to know who she really is. She is not a lost soul anymore. She has been found. She is being saved. And so she needs to make a ritual in her life to continue these self-reflections, these self-discoveries to further gain a gnosis. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, she's had tons of visionary and uh, dreamlike experiences that she journals on a weekly basis. So it's a nice progression.
2: I think that's an aonic dream, you know, from a higher being. And so some of, these, some of these dreams are not just psychological in nature. They
4: come from a higher source. Well, that was actually a question I was going to ask you is, you know, what, what are the realities of these, you know, beings and things? Do you, do you think that they are, that they have a reality under themselves or are they part of the, just part of the psyche or a combination thereof? Or
2: Well, even the Gnostic scriptures say, uh, you know, the, the hidden father is with us. And we are within the Hidden Father, so there is a sharing going on there, where our very source of our being is comes from a divine source that is in us. We are in. Um, so I think it's there. It's both and. I mean, we have um, a psychic image of the Hidden Father or of the Aeons. That is a psychic image, but then there is the actual Aeons,
3: mm-hmm. right? The archetypes as such, yes, as Jung no. called them. Well, one of the unique things as well about Gnostic um, I believe, is that we're not just talking about the unconscious, but we, we say the unconscious and beyond, and beyond. So again, we're making reference to the Gnostic tradition in regards to these archetypes as such, the aeons, the actual beings, that are even beyond the psyche, Mm-hmm. And and Jung made a, a uh, Jung's term was psychoid, meaning psychic-like, but it's really beyond the psyche. Mm-hmm. And, and and when a person's having a meditative experience, or even even a little bit beyond that, an active imagination experience, within within the psyche, they're seeing that archetypal image, which is a, which is a reflection of that higher being.
2: Mm -hmm. which gets into the whole Gnostic cosmogony where everything is derived from the source which is ineffable I think the three names are the hidden father, the depth and the one so it's our our parent who is inscrutable and incomprehensible, ineffable and who is unified as, as a being, as if one being from that emanates the aeons, and that is our high spiritual center. From that comes the psyche, which is basically filled with clashing opposites, Mm
0: -hmm. struggling
2: struggling for supremacy one against the other. Mm -hmm. And from that, the body, which is patterned in an archetypal fashion.
1: Wow, this is um, this is not really, you know. It, it's just it's so interesting to hear this. Um, I recently read a book uh, called "What What Jung Really Said," and it was a really interesting introduction to Jung's work. And it was it was um, I have not had a lot of exposure to his material, and it was uh, it was having this background in in, in Gnosticism and, and fourth way. Uh, he was almost like a homecoming reading more and more about his ideas and that this was somebody who actually took all of this very seriously. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, he actually took all this very seriously, and, and, that, and that made me want to do more. I mean, I, I had um, read some James Hillman uh, before he was a neo-Jungian. Neo um, his book, The Soul's Code, had a huge impact on me. And, um, you know, he, he, that was all about, you know, finding your purpose, find, finding your place and, and, and the importance of that. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, hearing you guys talk about this is very exciting um, to hear about the fact that you are taking this so seriously, but taking this a step further and actually not just using the terminology, but actually incorporating the Gnostic religion into, into this treatment. Uh, for people, and I think that's remarkable. Right. You know, it's interesting, um, I've been doing a, some research into Eastern Orthodoxy, and the Eastern Orthodox have no problem using the um, using the concept of uh, illness when talking about the state of the soul, state of the spirit. They have no problem with that at all, and the idea of, of treatment and therapy and, and, and medicine, and that's something that seems to be somewhat missing in a lot of the Western what uh, Western uh, Christian tradition, and so it's uh, yeah it's, a, it's, re- it's remarkable actually feeling a little bit more comfortable using that terminology now, um, and then hearing you guys do it is it's just great.
3: Yeah, what's interesting about the the Eastern Orthodox, and I was talking to Dr. Heller about this, is that they have the uh, uh, icon uh, iconostasis. That's what it's called. The icons and the stasis in Greek meaning the stand. So when you look at their altars, you see like maybe a uh, a painting of Jesus. And as one Russian Orthodox uh, priest I interviewed uh, told me, uh, which very much reminds me of uh, uh, active imagination, is where the priest stands in between the person and the Jesus figure. And kind of like Catholic confession, the person spews out all of their... <laughs> problems, and the priest in between Jesus and the uh, person basically validates everything that the person's saying as they're confessing their sins to Jesus. Yeah. and um, that in of itself can help to stimulate an active imagination dialogue between Jesus and the person. Mm-hmm. And so that's very similar to what we're doing here in, in Gnostic therapy too. One of our unique approaches is um, where we are using Jung's Systema Mundantotius, which is a mandala figure he painted. It's, it's in the was it the last page I believe of the red book, Doctor Lloyd?
2: Well, uh, not quite, but yes, yeah, close.
3: Yeah, it's close to the last page. And so that, that's a very powerful uh, symbol that we use that uh, Carl Jung painted. Uh, it's a Gnostic symbol, as a matter of fact, of not only the cosmogony, but also the cosmogony. And uh, so like the Eastern Orthodox, looking at the figure of Jesus, we use this mandala to help stimulate the initiate into a higher dialogue with those beings we talked about earlier in order Mm -hmm. to receive guidance to receive um, healing and expanded consciousness you know anything's possible (laughs) okay
1: yep yeah and there's a real distinction i mean i was at a eastern orthodox church service once and i saw somebody undergoing confession and they're not in the booth they're not, separated from, they're, not, you know, they're not separated from the clergy person. There's a, he's actually right there, but he's listening to the person confessing to the icon uh, of, of Jesus. And that's what I saw. And I thought that was kind of remarkable. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and just a huge shift from somebody who won't even look at you uh, versus <laughs> being able to talk directly to, 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 to Jesus and then have that presence there with you. Mm-hmm. It's almost with the Western tradition. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. am knocking the Roman Catholics here, but it, it seems like you know. Let, let's let's keep you divided. And I understand that the individual may want some privacy when disclosing sins, but the flip side of that is is that a system that possi- possibly reinforces shame instead of being face to face with your eyes open, and that that openness with the eyes. Um, Instead, you're you're compartmentalizing yourself and turning away. And uh, how does the healing happen? You know, there's going to be a difference in how the healing happens if it happens at all in both mm-hmm. those modalities. It seems to me.
2: <clears throat> well, as Sophia's suffering. She she did three things. She remembered who she was and where she came from.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: She turned her attention to the aeons,
4: mm-hmm. and then
2: she cried out for help and asked for what she needed. All of this was. The process of repentance, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's that is what you're describing is somebody who is able to recognize their situation, but know where they, who they are, where they come from, and actually ask for what they needed from their source.
3: Yes, right. And and what's a nice time between what Dr. Lloyd is saying and what uh, you had said, uh, Mrs. Peterson? <laughs> is is. Think, think, think about the word uh, sin, you know, but before, he, before the church became more organized, the ancients understood sin to really mean forgetfulness, ignorance. Mm-hmm. And so again, if, if, if you're really conscious, if you're living out your life's purpose to be conscious and knowing who you really are, where you came from, and where you need to go back to, then you're not being sinful. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. And, yeah. you, and you said ignorance, and that actually is the Gnostic understanding of where human suffering comes from, is the plague of ignorance. It's I- ignorance that keeps us from knowing who we are and how to find healing.
3: And that also relates to Gnostic therapies theory mm-hmm. in relationship to the seven illusions of ignorance, like mm-hmm. anger, greed, excessiveness, impulsive, impulsiveness, dishonesty, passivity and pride. And yes. so, so, kind of like Dante's uh, Seven Deadly Sins, uh, which very much backs up our theory as well, uh, besides the Sophian myth, uh, here we yeah. go. Th- there's these different kind of ignorances that distract the soul, distract the ego uh, right. from the pneumatic integrities. And the pneumatic integrities, which we also have in our theory, uh, is basically... Those spiritual qualities like awareness, truth, mm-hmm. freedom, balance, peace, compassion, and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Hello, Sophia. Yes. Wisdom. <laughs>
1: There's, there's, there's an issue there of, of attention. It, it, it's, you, know, you, you talk about distraction and how these sins can, can with, you know, take our attention or grab our attention in so many different ways. And you know, by golly, when you're paying attention to something, well, where are you going to be headed? Uh, you're, you're going to be headed towards that which has grabbed your attention. So um, in your work, do you, do you work with people on learning to have some kind of control over their attention and into where they're putting it? Where their attention, so. yeah. Go ahead,
3: Dr. Warren.
2: Uh, yeah, I was a little distracted on that question.
3: <laughs> the, the, the dog. I, I think the dog was, yeah. What was the question
1: again? The question was um, when we were talking about how the sins can be, seven sins can be distracting. They distract the soul. And when we're distracted distracted by something, um, when it's got our attention, because it it distracts us by taking our attention and grabbing it and pulling it that direction, and we tend to go where our attention is. When I was learning, when I was in Driver's Ed, they say, put the car where you're looking, where you're paying attention, there the car will go. And it's like, it seems like we kind of do that ourselves. So in your work with people, um, do you find find it helpful or do you work with them on controlling and managing their attention so that it goes to the place where they want it, where they want to go so they're not perpetually Absolutely. being distracted?
2: Absolutely. Because part of the experience of training and mindfulness, as we know, um, is to learn how the mind just takes it, takes it and runs with it the way it wants. You're trying to focus on something and you're, suddenly you find yourself thinking about something completely different. If you're trying to focus on your breathing for one minute, and all of a sudden, there you are standing in, in line at Carl's Jr.'s for a hamburger. I mean, what what does that have yeah. to do with... And, but your mind did that. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, and your mind does that all the time. Oh, uh, it does. So oh, it does. it's coming to, to recognize, again, who we are, and recognizing that we are psychic beings that are full of conflict, inner conflict, and... The mind just restlessly goes where it wants to go, fearlessly.
3: <laughs> See, and that's one of the beauties of uh, this Gnostic pneumotherapy technique, uh, or many of our techniques, actually, is, is it's a very much about focus, as like the mindfulness people would say.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, that's very important for our healing.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: A lot of people who come into psychotherapy typically are having many problems and they have no answers. They just just want some relief. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of our uh, psychotherapy sessions uh, are psycho-spiritual nature. We're, we're, We're often talking about being more conscious, being more focused to have that consciousness and to see what kind of creativity pops up. What kind of possibilities pop up? Potentialities you may be able to reach mm-hmm. via our structured system that is very focused. Yeah. <laughs> we therapy is very focused because you're going to be in it for a long time. <laughs> uh, and so, did you want to add to that, Dr. Lloyd?
2: Being in it for a long time and enjoying the
1: experience, hopefully.
3: Yes, yes. <laughs> so there'll be some journaling involved as well so they can keep yeah. track of their progress.
1: Absolutely. Right. Yeah, accountability is important. Self-accountability, at the very least. So
4: you are you're, you're working on a book together. Can you, Yes. Can you explain uh, what's the what's the focus of the book going to be? Is it for other psychotherapists, or is it for the general public, or maybe one of each?
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> that that's a great idea. I think. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. You're about to.
3: Well, say. well. well uh, Back in 2007, when I was first thinking this all up, if you will, uh, and then I'll, I should say 2007 to 2008, just before I met Dr. Lloyd, I that was my original intention was to help the field of psychology, the therapists working with patients, to uh, work with them from this tradition. Um, Mind you, Jungian uh, overlay. And so I would say initially it was really for just the therapists. Uh, I would probably still say it's primarily for, for the therapists to know how to work in a psycho spiritual way still with their patients in a way like they've never done before. Would you agree, Dr. Lloyd?
2: I, I agree. I think we're writing the book. For two professionals, basically, because we're describing an inco- a complete theory of uh, human nature, a complete theory of how we uh, suffer and how we are healed, and it's a very structured, pra- pragmatic approach, but is theori- theoretically grounded. So it's not really a-, a book for lay people at this point that I that I can see.
4: Mm. I agree. Have Have you had a lot of reaction from other? Um... Other professionals in the field. How, how do how do your colleagues find this work?
2: We our basic, uh, you know, opening of the doors to the public has been through the website. We just basically started that. Um, we published some of the chapters, um, the early forms of the chapters. I think four, right? Chap one through four.
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah,
2: and that's the, that has been the way people have found us.
3: Uh, and, and also the Gnostic Pneumotherapy Founders website as well gives you a lot of background on what the theory is about. So really both websites have uh, received some attention. Um, yeah, and, and so I, I've gotten some good feedback from some people uh, who have read the chapters. Uh, I, I Actually, quite a bit of uh, the interns I've worked with <laughs> especially <laughs> have found it fascinating because they always want to know what's new, uh, what what's coming up in the field of psychology. Kind of like when you go to those big uh, uh, psychological conferences to see what's the latest.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so uh, I believe that's kind of the direction where Dr. Lloyd and I are heading to uh, do some future speaking as well about this uh, new form of psycho-spiritual uh, therapy. You folks are our first... Door.
0: <laughs>
3: okay? Oh boy. So, so we're just we're getting started here.
1: <laughs> okay. You hear it, heard it here to hear first, folks. Here on Talk Gnosis After Dark. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: That's
1: right. On the Gnostic Wisdom Network. So I, the
4: the reason why I ask that is that you know the in obviously science is largely secular and and people tend to shy away from spiritual matters when talking about, you know, science and, and, and the various different kinds of um, the the various fields of healthcare. You don't often, well, you you do, and you don't, you, you, you can see some, uh, some types of healthcare that are, are spiritual in nature, but it's not always, not always so well received. And so I was just wondering if any of your, your colleagues think that you know you're crazy or whatever
2: <laughs> well I expect that they will um, but we, we did call it pneumotherapy because we are trying to distinguish it from traditional psychotherapy mm-hmm.
3: yeah and I think another really important part of the, the book work uh, that we have done so far and that we're going to finish up on um, relates to quantum physics um, <laughs> For example, we've already have mentioned in our unique four-paradigm model of uh, psycho experience. Well, one of the uh, components is from an old book called the Kabbalion. It's mm-hmm. a uh, – oh, you know this. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, connected with Hermes Trismegistus, uh, an mm-hmm. old uh, Egyptian Greek text. And basically that ancient text – Really, it's, a, it's a really a, a neo-Hermetic text, actually. But it, it goes back to the old Corpus Hermeticum. Uh, it's connected in that way. Anyway, it talks about the principles of our existence. Kind of reminds me, again, of the Matrix movie. you know. And, and the thing is, is that I think that quantum physicists have seen that those old ancient uh, religious people actually knew something. They're, they're right, because now we have better scientific instrumentation that is proving what the ancients were saying all along as far as the, the principles of our existence that we cannot see with the naked eye. Uh, I think the only big difference is that the quantum physicists are not uh, maybe giving a lot of credit to God. <laughs> you know, it's more like, you can do this. Whereas... Um, for the ancients, obviously, as well as uh, us Gnostics, we're, we're looking a little bit more towards the divine um, being a very causal factor in helping change, positive change to come about. But nonetheless, uh, I think the majority of it is, is pretty much the same. Uh, quantum physicists as well as the ancients were talking about the same basic principles of reality and how... We are, uh, by nature, a reflection of that reality. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to give an example? Uh, I, I can give an example. Like, like there's the principle of correspondence the, uh, the ancients talked about uh, through the Kabbalion. Well, what does that basically mean? Well, we all know as above, so below, as below, so above. Right and that very much relates to the earlier question about individuation you know where where the the uh, ego and the self capital s self as jung called it have a libido relationship a uh, balance a psychic energy balance between the two and so that again that relates to the healing through the development of individuation to take in consideration the principle of correspondence as above, so below, as below, so above. All right. So, so thank you, quantum physicists. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be writing about, we're going to be finishing writing about them as well near the uh, most likely the, the end of the book and uh, talking about how that ties into the, uh, those matrix principles.
1: Okay, good. So, looking forward to that,
3: yeah, so for those skeptics, if you will they they can say, hey, there is some kind of scientific basis for for what we're saying,
4: all right, well, we're coming up on our hour here, so uh <laughs> i don't I don't want to get into a whole other topic and uh and take up all our time, but um you you were both located in Southern California, is that right? I am in San Diego County, okay.
3: And I'm up in uh, Bakersfield currently.
4: Okay, so um, if somebody was interested in uh, in having some of this Gnostic pneumotherapy, um, is this something that you do locally, or is there uh, a by phone option? Or
2: <laughs> if they go to the websites, they'll they'll find uh, phones and addresses and contact information.
4: All right, Well that is yes, huh? correct. Because I think that I mean we have a we have a global uh, viewership here, and I think that. Probably huh? you'll have some people who might be interested in that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we'll definitely post the uh, the the websites in our uh, in our descriptions and, and everything, so people can go right there. So click down in the description if you're interested. Awesome, <laughs> thank, thank you. you. All right, all right. So, uh, anybody want to put any final thoughts out there before before we go? No, that's I always spring that on people. Nobody's ever ready when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well then, uh, thank you both once again, uh, Dr. Lloyd and Dr. Lancaster, for joining us uh, for our video show and our podcast. It was such an interesting topic that we really uh, we were we were pretty excited to to get you guys on and talk about it.
0: Fascinating. Thank,
1: thank you All so right. much. Thank you.
4: All right, and for everybody who is listening along at home, we'll see you next week.
1: Take care.
3: Good night, everyone. Good night. May the gnosis be with you. <laughs> <laughs>
4: This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com Gnostic. That's patreo dot slash G-N-O-S-T-I-C.